It's about time for us to begin. going to say I must have uh, missed the announcement this morning that Chris was going to be preaching on gluttony. And <laughs> nobody decided to show up <laughs> to, to hear that. Our first song is number 647, 647. We're seeing the uh, first, second, and fourth verses of the love of God. And if you will, please stand if it's convenient for you, and we'll sing this song. Since the love of God has shed priceless blessings on my head, I have made it my own. I will hide it in my heart that it never may depart. It shall rule. We'll sing first, second, and last verses of this, then we'll have our uh, prayer and scripture reading. 299, I stand amazed. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the
Pray with me, please. Father, we are so thankful for all that you give us, all that you do for us. We're thankful for another beautiful day, another beautiful day where we can assemble together, where we can pause to, uh, to remember your son, the sacrifice that he made and love that he had for us in dying for each one of us. And we're thankful that we can assemble here in freedom and peace and, and that we can worship hopefully, Father, in a way that, that is pleasing to you. We are mindful of many who cannot be here, many who are struggling with grief, many who are struggling with their health, struggling with anxiety and depression, many, Father, that we care about, that we're concerned about, who have matters weighing on them, Father, and we pray for your strength and for your comfort, and for your healing, and for your guidance. Help us to be an encouragement where we can, Father, to... Uh, to work to bring these folks joy and peace and, and eventually, Father, restoration to, to the church and to you. We, uh, we're thankful for all that we have, Father, and we know that it all comes from you. Help us to use what we have in your service always to be good servants, uh, what you've given us. And we ask, Father, that you continue to bless our lives, that you continue to, to uh, give us opportunities to serve and opportunities to be an example, and opportunities, Father, to reach out to those around us. Continue to guide us uh, this week, Father, in all that we do. Help us to bring you the praise and the glory. Forgive us, Father, when we sin, when we fall short, when we fail. Strengthen us where we are weak, and, and give us the courage to overcome the temptation when we face it. Uh, continue to bless our service this afternoon, uh, the rest of this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> the uh, reading this afternoon is from uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Psalm of invitation, if you want to mark it, is number 778, 778. And the song before the lesson is number 527, Paradise Valley, 527. And if it's convenient for you, we'll ask you to stand again. <clears throat> As I travel through life with trouble and strife, I'm glorious, hope to give cheer on the ways. My toil will be o'er, and I'll rest on that shore where the night has been turned into
about you guys but i'm happy to see potluck meals and service projects back <laughs> it's just been good hasn't it uh be able to eat the meal together and to talk and to catch up that's been such a blessing uh, i feel like that's one of the last things that the lord's restored to us uh, that covid took from us so I'm, I'm grateful to see it back if you got your bibles turn to second chronicles chapter 17 we are talking through a series and we're called binge reading through the bible uh, and we call it, call it that because uh, we're trying to find the central point from each one of the characters listed in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. God wants us to learn from their lives. Some of these guys' lives, like the one we're studying today, spans several chapters. Uh, we've, been, we've been in uh, Second King, or we've been in Kings and Chronicles over the last several weeks as we've been walking through some of these kings. And today we're talking about a guy named Jehoshaphat. He is, uh, like every other king in Judah, a complex character. Although this particular king is a righteous man. He tries. He seeks the Lord with his whole heart. If you remember from our study on Rehoboam, uh, God said he did not seek the Lord. Rehoboam wasn't concerned with that. But there will come people, men in his lineage, that are concerned with seeking the Lord with everything they've got. And Jehoshaphat is one of those men. His father, Asa, was one of those men as well. So he had a good example. Jehoshaphat, though, is like his dad and like every other king in, in Judah, a complex character, scripturally speaking. He does good things. He also makes some incredibly irresponsible, poor, informed, unfaithful decisions. And so we have to walk through this good man's life and point out some of those inconsistencies um, where he knew what was right and seemed to just purposefully choose wrong. And I think there's a lesson for us there that will be very poignant for us today. That is, of course, in opposition to the kings of Israel. None of those men are complicated. None of those men are complex. They are all, in a word, evil. God frowns on every single one of them for the next 200 years. They will be idolatrous and immoral. Today we come in contact with one of those, two of those, in fact, kings, thanks to the life of Jehoshaphat. Let's pick up in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. In verse 1 you read that Jehoshaphat, his son, Asa's son, reigned in Asa's place and strengthened himself against Israel. He placed forces in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim that Asa his father had captured. So just stop right there because it's important. As uh, the chronicler introduces us to this king, he gives us a breadcrumb, a hint, as to maybe what we should be learning from this guy. Jehoshaphat is concerned with shoring up his borders from the northern nation of Israel. They are his cousins, right? The northern nation of Israel, though it has its own government, though it has its own, by this point, religion, it has its own gods, it has its own taxes, its own king, they are brethren with the southern nation. These, these, these men and women are cousins, they're family. But by this point, the northern nation of Israel has made decisions that will end them in destruction. They will end up in condemnation judgment, wrath, because of the decisions that they've made. 
And Jehoshaphat very wisely starts protecting himself from them. He starts fortifying these cities to keep them over there and to keep his people over here in a righteous and holy place. The problem is going to come up next chapter. Um, But I want you to see what he does throughout the rest of this chapter. It's really amazing. Revolution sweeps through Jerusalem, through Judah, during Jehoshaphat's reign. Listen to verse 3. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Remember, the northern nation is referred to as Israel. He's not talking about the the nation that we would know as today, Israel. He's talking about those northern ten tribes. And so they are always idolatrous. They are always immoral. There's not a good king among them. Although Elijah and Elisha, will prophesy during the time period that we're talking about today with Jehoshaphat. They prophesy against a king named Ahab, right? You're going to get to meet Ahab today and all his wondrous, scheming, cruelty, evil, idolatry. You get to meet him as well as Jehoshaphat and all of his righteousness. But Jehoshaphat is, is purposefully, intentionally staying away from and fortifying himself against those people against evil, against the the leaven that could come into his country that was proposed by Ahab and the northern nation of Israel. He's aware of that, right? We need to be aware of that too. Paul would say, and he echoes Jesus saying this exact same thing, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Do you remember that? That's what Jehoshaphat is concerned with. He is aware of the evil practices, the idolatry, the immorality of the northern nation of Israel. And he's putting structures in place to keep him and his family, his country, safe from that. We need to do the exact same thing, don't we? Hang with me. Watch, watch what this guy does. It, it's really incredible. Verse five, yeah, verse 5, he says, Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. That's not really been said since Solomon's day. Asa was a good king, but the last several years of his life were not righteous. He struggled. Uh, And right off the bat here, Jehoshaphat is making very good decisions, and God is blessing him. In verse 6, his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. Not just he set his heart to seek the Lord, but his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. He was going above and beyond the normal call. He said, I see the standard, but God's standard's up here. I'm going to match up to his. I'm not matching up to my dad's. I'm not matching up to Solomon's. I'm not even matching up to David's. He's trying to match up to God's standard. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. Man, they said about all of us. And furthermore, he took the high places in the ashram out of Judah. Now that's said about his dad too, isn't it? But then they weren't taken out, were they? I'm wondering if he took them out and the people brought them back. I think that's probably true with with what happened to Asa, too. He would take them out, but what would happen? The people would bring them back. And later you're going to find that the people's heart was not set on Yahweh like the king's heart is. And so they weren't prepared for that yet. And so they bring back these high places, possibly. I'm thinking that's probably what's going on. But here in verse 7, you find something that's just... This is what we've been building up to. He sends out officials. You've got their names recorded for you here, but there's their Levites and their priests and their prophets uh, and some officials. And they're going to go throughout all of Judah. In verse 9, you find that they've got the book of the law of the Lord with them. They brought the Pentateuch along. Now, why is that important? Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's the Pentateuch. They brought that along with them so that they could show the people what God expected from them. The only way we're going to have spiritual revival is if you read his words and obey them. Joseph got that. And he says, spiritual revival needs to sweep across this nation. How are we going to do that? Well, let's show them God. And let's plead with them to obey him. And so that's what he does. He appoints these officials and he gives them a job. Go out into all the nation, the entire nation of Judah, and tell them what God wants from them. And so they went throughout all the cities of Judah, and taught the people. 
And guess what happened in verse 10? And the fear of the Lord, the fear of literally Yahweh. Whenever you see Lord in all caps, it's not, it's his, it's his, it's his, it's his name, his, his, um, his specific name, Yahweh, his, uh, his covenantal name. It's not just Lord like his master or sovereign, it's, it's his name. And so when the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the land that were around Judah... And they made no war against Jehoshaphat. And so not only did all of Judah have some spiritual revival, but the kingdoms around them saw what was going on, and they backed off. There's always wars. Uh, you know that from, from just your study of history. But even today, there's wars in this part of the country because people are always fighting and bickering over the land over there and getting the resources and stuff. And that's true in Jehoshaphat's day too. But he had sought the Lord with such vigor that all these other countries backed off and they left them alone because they saw that God was with them. In fact, verse 11, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver for tribute. And the Arabians also brought him 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. That's a whole lot of sacrifices. And Jehoshaphat grew steadily greater. He built in Judah fortresses and store cities and he had large supplies in the cities of Judah. He had soldiers, mighty men of valor in Jerusalem. Uh, and then he goes through the rest of the chapter telling you about these men. He's got like a million-man army. You haven't seen armies like this in Judah in a very long time, since, uh, since David and Solomon's day. Um, when, the, when the country split, a lot of, most of, the majority of the country went to the northern nation. And so you see a very big army up there, but you don't, you don't see they're always overmatched in the south. But now... Jehoshaphat, thanks to the Lord's blessing, has a very large army. If you were to go back through and just do the math on that very quickly, he is right around a million-man army. And so he is doing very well. Uh, in verse 19, these were in the service of the king besides those whom the king had placed in the fortified cities throughout all Judah. So he's got more than these warriors uh, with him. And so he's done great, right? He has fortified, he's protecting himself and his country from the idolatry and the immorality that's in the north. Sitting with these fortified cities, he's not trusting them. He, he kind of looks at them with, with squinted eyes, you know, reading between the lines. He doesn't exactly trust them, but uh, he's also awakened the spirituality of his country. Um, thanks to the teaching of the law, God has blessed them with this massive army. Things are going very, very well, aren't they? Read 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 1. Now, Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. I don't know why in Scripture great riches and honor almost always leads to a fall, doesn't it? It's going to here as well. Now, Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. Now, what in the world has just happened, right? What is Jehoshaphat, what possibly could he be thinking? He has fortified himself, protecting himself and his country from the idolatry and the immorality of the north. And then he puts his little girl in a marriage with Ahab. What? Why are you allying yourself with Ahab? And that just smacks of evil and wrongness. But now this alliance is here, and look what happens in verse 2. After some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria. Mistake number two. <laughs> and Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. <coughs> Excuse me. So basically, Ahab bribes him with all, these, uh, with all this stuff, and he says, hey, there's uh, a battle that I'd like your help with up at Ramoth Gilead. And so uh, Ahab says, will you come with me? And for some reason, Jehoshaphat says, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, we'll be with you in the, in the war. But righteous Jehoshaphat has a, a caveat here. I want you to ask a prophet of the Lord before we go. See what the Lord thinks, to see what Yahweh thinks about this. Now, that is going to eat up Ahab because Ahab does not care what Yahweh has to say about any matter. You know Ahab probably from, uh, his, own, from his own story. 
disconnected from Jehoshaphat. He comes off as more of a, um, a weak king, I suppose, um, a weak man even. You remember his wife Jezebel seems to run the kingdom pretty well. That's not um, an accurate picture of Ahab. He is an able administrator, an able general. Uh, in fact, he is feared in this part of the country during his lifetime. Uh, he is not a good king in God's eyes, but he is an able administrative king and an able general in the world's eyes. And so God paints him in this light because he is wicked. He's evil. And so God has a very low opinion of this man. And that comes across in Scripture. Um, but Ahab has enticed now Jehoshaphat to come to battle with him. Uh, but like we say, Jehoshaphat very righteously says, well, what's Yahweh say about this? And so Ahab brings in 400 priests. Now, where do they come from? Because they are not prophets of the Lord, right? And these guys come in and they say, well, Yahweh has given you this battle. Go up, do as, you're, as you want, and God will bless it. That's exactly, I mean, exactly what Ahab wanted to hear, right? Sometimes we hear what we want to hear. But these guys were telling him exactly what he wanted to hear. But Jehoshaphat's sitting over there on the other throne thinking, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> doesn't sound like something God would say, especially not to Ahab. And so he says, isn't there someone else? Isn't there a prophet of Yahweh? I see your prophets. I heard what they had to say. Isn't there a Yahweh prophet somewhere that we can ask this question to? Listen to what he says in verse 7. Uh, 2 Chronicles 18, verse 7. This is, this is what uh, Ahab says to Jehoshaphat. There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of Yahweh, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. And you've got to love what Jehoshaphat says. Let not the king say so. He basically says, poo-poo that idea. Oh, come on now. Ahab, surely he'll... Let's just hear what he has to say. And so the, uh, the king sends out one of his officials, and he goes to get Micaiah. Uh, the official, when he gets there, says, listen. He kind of lets Micaiah in on what's just happened. Listen, the other 400 prophets of the Lord, the Lord, because these are not Yahweh's prophets. He says, the other prophets have already spoken good to Ahab, so we kind of need you to say the same thing. So Micaiah comes in, Jehoshaphat and Ahab, and should we go up to her mouth, Gilead? And Micaiah says, yes, sure, go ahead. You want to read it? Let's read it for yourself. Um, he says, let's see, it's in verse, verse 14. Uh, and when he had come to the king, the king said to Micaiah, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And he answered, Go up and triumph. They will be given into your hand. I read that with a little sarcasm. I don't know if you heard that or not. <laughs> I hope so. Let's try again. Go up and triumph. Yeah, they'll be given into your hand. We know it's sarcastic because of verse 15. The king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So Ahab heard the sarcasm and knew that Micaiah was messing with him. What happens next is a really a, an odd, odd thing. Um, this is what he says in verse 16. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains. This is Micaiah speaking to Ahab. As sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Why don't they have a master? It's kind of Micaiah's implication. Why don't they have a master? Where did their master go? Well, he was killed in battle. That's why they don't have a master. The master's the king. The king was killed in battle. He's not there. So Micaiah's saying, you go up to Ramoth Gilead. Go ahead. You're going to die. And verse 17, the king said to Joseph, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? <laughs> He's like, see, I was right. So what happens next in, in verse 18 through a good, good piece of the rest of the chapter, Micaiah sets this scene in the throne room of God. And it's God saying, how can we entice Ahab to go up to Ramoth Gilead so I can kill him? And he's kind of talking to the angels. And one says one thing, he has one suggestion, and another has another suggestion. And finally one comes up and he says, hey, I've got an idea. How about you put in the mouth of 400 prophets of the Lord, uh, not Yahweh, but the Lord, and hey, how about you tell them 
to tell him to go on up because he's going to believe them and then we can kill him. And God says, yes, that's what we want to do. And so Micaiah, it, it's, it's an illustration, right? That didn't literally happen. God knew he didn't have to ask for counsel or any of that stuff. It's just an illustration to get his point across. Micaiah is trying to get his point across to Ahab that these guys are telling you lies. You just wanted to do what you're going to do anyhow. So you listen to them. So yeah, if you want to go up to battle, you've never cared what the Lord thought anyhow. Go on up to battle. That's what you're going to do anyhow. And so he does. And guess what happens? Well, the rest of this chapter tells you what's happened. Um, Ahab, again, evil king, not a stupid person. Listen to what he says in verse 28. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. (laughs) It's at this point that a reasonable man would look at Ahab and say, I don't think you have my best interest in mind. And so... The king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of his chariots, don't fight anybody except the king of Israel. Go back and read it for yourself. This is a really interesting story. He has royally angered (laughs) the king of Syria. And so he says, I've got a death warrant out, not for any one of the soldiers, not for any one of the generals. I don't care anything about them. I want Ahab's head. You don't fight with anybody except him. And so... When they see a king riding around on a royal horse, who do they think it is? They think it's Ahab. Ahab knew that when he told Jehoshaphat uh, to just dress in his robes and go out there. And so as soon as they saw him, they go after Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat finally calls out, I don't know what he says, Scripture doesn't include it for us, but something like, I'm not Ahab, or ah, probably it's more along the lines. When the entire army goes after him, they finally figure out that it's not him, it's not Ahab. And so they turn around and they flee. Now, here's what happens. Here's how God uh, works all this out in verse 32. Uh, They're leaving Jehoshaphat. For as the son of the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man, underline certain man, if you still got your pen from this morning, underline certain man, and draw one beside it maybe. He drew his bow at random, underline random, and put a number two. And struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Underline scale armor and breastplate and put it number three. Here are three coincidences that worked perfectly so that Ahab died. Are these coincidences? Of course not. Middle of a heated battle, this random archer, we don't even know his name. God knows his name, but we don't know his name. He pulls his bow and he just kind of shoots at random into the army. He's not shooting at anybody. There's just so many people over there. He's like, well, I'm going to hit somebody. And he shoots and he hits Ahab in the perfect spot right there between where his breastplate comes in and where the scale armor stops. It's, it's right there, just the perfect spot. None of that was random. It was all God's design, right? He ends up dying. He watches the battle uh, from, from a... a a hill uh, propped up against his chariot, and as, he, as, sun, as the sun sets, he dies. God's prophecy came, comes true. Jehoshaphat, not miraculously, or I suppose miraculously, uh, makes it away from the battle and starts doing these um, reforms, spiritual reforms. He gets back onto that, that bandwagon in Israel. Listen to what he says in verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, hold on right there because you know this guy. Hananiah, you may, you may not know him, but you know his dad. Je- Jehu, he's the prophet that came out to Jehoshaphat's dad, Asa, when Asa made a mistake with an army. And Asa, um, Jehu condemned Asa's actions and said, you know, God's not with you. He's against you now. You've angered the Lord. His wrath upon you. Those kinds of things. And it made Asa angry, and he refused to submit to the Lord from then on out. God put a disease in his feet. He didn't come back. God sent him wars. He didn't come back. All that stuff happened because of Jehu, this guy's dad, prophesying against Asa, Jehoshaphat's dad, for the exact same thing that Jehoshaphat just did. He made an alliance with a bad king, an evil king, and God condemned him for it. Now, Jehoshaphat's made an alliance with an evil king, and God's condemning him for it. 
Listen to what happens, though. This is, this is so interesting that the son of a king who made a bad decision is condemned in the exact same way that by a prophet whose dad has condemned his own father. It's really interesting. So he says, this Hananiah says, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asheroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. So he delivers a very similar message that his dad delivered to Jehoshaphat's dad. Remember, Asa did not like that message, and he, he uh, refused to submit from that day on. Jehoshaphat's going to act differently. He lived at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to Yahweh, the God of their fathers. He, in fact, he appointed judges in all the land of the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Consider what you do. He says, you guys are going to rule the people. You better rule well. You think he had learned his lesson? I think uh, this, this prophecy from Hananiah, he had to remember, had to have been told the stories of how the prophet had condemned his dad and saw he was probably co-regent with his dad over the last several years because of the disease in his feet. He couldn't rule. And so he had to be aware of how his dad reacted to the prophecy by Jehu's dad. And now that, Jay, now that Hananiah has come, with the exact same prophecy against Jehoshaphat, he says, I'm going to react differently. I'm going to submit. I saw what happened when my dad didn't submit. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm with God, no matter what happens. I'm with him. And so he looks at these judges and says, Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with Yahweh our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. This is from a guy who's just taken a bribe to help in a battle he shouldn't have been in in the first place. This guy's learned his lesson. He's, I mean, he's a righteous man. He's a good guy. Uh, all, good things. All the, way, all the way through the rest of this chapter, chapter 20, uh, there's more good stuff. He's, he's going to have this, uh, this prayer. He sets his face uh, to seek the Lord in verse 3 of chapter 20. Pro- proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Um, all of the entire nation assembles. To seek help from the Lord. They come into the temple. Um, and they start this, this amazing prayer in Second Chronicles 20. Verse 6, he says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might. So that none is able to withstand you. Did, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of those land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for, you in a, built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. No matter what comes, we will stand here with you. Yahweh, for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. So they're, they're in the, they've gotten word that there's three armies, Ammon, Moab. Both these are, are also their cousins that are more than estranged. <laughs> uh, the, the, these are kinship. They, have some, they share kinship with the Israelites, but they're, they're enemies to the death and always have been. But Ammon and Moab have a partner in this battle, the guys from Mount Seir, Esau's descendants, who are also enemies to the death with Israel. They don't know that these three armies are coming. They don't get word until they're in their back door, until they're in their backyard. They're in a place called En Gedi, which is very close to Jerusalem. So they hear that these three battle these three that these three armies are coming and they're right there and this is the prayer that Jehoshaphat leads his country in when he doesn't know what to do he says i'm with you no matter what happens impressive right you got to love this guy um and so god says listen you just sit back i'm going to fight this battle for you the last time we heard that was at the Red Sea. You sit back, I'm going to fight this battle for you. What happened? 
God destroyed an entire nation. Here he's going to destroy three entire armies because of infighting. Uh, Ammon and Moab are going to fight against Seir, and they're going to, they're going to kill off the, um, the Edomite army, and then they're going to make Ammon and Moab, the armies there, fight against each other. And Jehoshaphat gets his army, and they start marching out to the, to the battlefield, and they, I guess they crest a ridge or something and look down into the valley, and everybody's dead. And Jehoshaphat, you can kind of see him scratching his head, oh, God did it. He came through. So that's chapter 20. Um, skip over chapter 20. Let's, let's finish up Jehoshaphat's life uh, to verse 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. Again, this relationship with the king of Israel who's always going to act wickedly. Verse 36 says, He joined them in building ships to go to Tarshish, and they built the ships in Eben, uh, Ezion Gibber. Then Eleazar, the son of <laughs> that guy, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. If you look back up above verse 35, this is kind of an epilogue to Jehoshaphat's life. He, he really ended... His story in verse 34. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat from first to last are written in the chronicles of Jehu, the son of Hananiah, which are recorded in the book of kings of, of, the, of Israel. That's how he ends every king's story in chronicles. This is, this is what he did and his life's over now. And then he says his son reigned. But in Jehoshaphat's case, he's got a little epilogue here. I wonder why. Well, here, here's the conclusion I've come to. He started off fortifying himself, protecting himself from the northern nation of Israel because of their idolatry and their immorality, right? That's how he starts off his reign. But then he makes this weird marriage alliance with Ahab and, and invites Ahab into his family. Ugh. You know, like, why? But then he makes this alliance with Ahab's son, Amaziah, and again, why? This is an awful idea. I'm reminded of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 30. Uh, 1, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, bad company corrupts good morals, doesn't it? If we can learn one thing from Jehoshaphat's life, and there's a lot of lessons we can learn from his life, I think. Lots of things that would bless us. I think one of the things that God wants us to learn from it, maybe the central thing, that God wants us to learn from Jehoshaphat's life is who you hang out with affects you. Jehoshaphat hung out with Ahab, and what happened? Ahab led him in a disastrous path that almost cost him literally everything, not just his kingdom, not just his life, but his legacy, his faith. It almost took everything from him. And then he didn't learn his lesson. And he made another alliance with yet another evil king of Israel. And what happened? Well, this time he just lost a lot of money. They built a lot of ships and God destroyed all the ships in the hopes of getting Jehoshaphat to wake up. If you run with bad people, they influence you. You run with people who are not spiritually minded, you're going to struggle too. So maybe the world has gotten its grips into you a little bit this evening and you're just kind of struggling. That's logical. Jehoshaphat does that. We see a good man struggling on occasion. Maybe you're in that spot today and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. Maybe you need to be baptized. That's the first step to becoming in relationship with God is to get into his family, to have your sins washed away, to become a part of his body, an active, thriving part of his body. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Whosoever hear us shout, shout the sound, spread the blessed tide.
paint all the world around. Tell the joyful news wherever man is found, whosoever few reminders on our announcements. Um, as soon as services conclude this afternoon, we'll have the service projects, and if you just want to meet in the old auditorium for that, uh, the middle auditorium. And uh, just a few updates on our prayer list. Just a reminder uh, to pray for Kent Picklesheimer. He'll be having an echocardiogram in the morning, so keep him in your prayers, as well as um, Roger and Diana Duncan. They continue to recover uh, with COVID, and uh, Diana remains in the hospital with that. Also, Terry Swindler, uh, this is Amber's mom. She is currently in a hospital facing some difficult decisions with her health. So let's continue to uh, keep her in our prayers. And uh, Sean Maynard, this is Gail Hewitt's son. Uh, upcoming test uh, determined cause of tremors. And just continue to pray for Rusty and Kristen and Donna Henning, Diane Foss, and so many others battling cancer. And just uh, make sure to pick up a Rome journal. It has the complete list of our um, prayer or those that are on our prayer list and if you haven't had the opportunity to uh, take the Lord's Supper uh, you can do so to sing the last song in the uh, conference room and we'll have one more song and a closing prayer sing one verse of 989 you are my all in all <clears throat> you are my strength when I am weak you are the bow with me please father we are thankful for this beautiful day of life that you've given us that we've been able to come and worship you in songs and hymns and spiritual songs and hearing another lesson from your word we ask father that you continue to bless chris and his efforts to work here at rome 
to ever let our light shine even brighter in this community. Be with him and and his family and David and his family and that we all work together to help save many souls for you. Bless us, Father, as we're about to leave, that we go about our daily walk of life and we always look to you for guidance and help and our light shines and people that at work and in our communities will know that we are Christians. We're thankful, Father, for the land in which we live, for the past week of, of remembering Thanksgiving for the crops and everything for the summer and for the many blessings that, that has been this year. We're thankful. We ask that you bless our sick and our shut-ins, be with those that are fighting cancers and other diseases. Pray that the medicines work. Bless us, Father, as we leave. Bring us back at the next appointed time. Forgive us in thy son's name we pray. And amen.